Well, welcome again. And uh, this week, what holiday is coming up this week on Thursday? Quick speed round. Turkey. Someone said Turkey Day. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah, so obviously, in church, what are we talking about this morning? Thanks. I thought someone was going to say Turkey again. Thanksgiving. Yes, Thanksgiving. Gratitude. And actually, when I heard that this was what we were going to talk about this morning, my dad was planning on being out of town, and I leapt at the opportunity because thankfulness is something that I have a lot of personal history with. It's something that, uh, that I've used in my spiritual walk in enormous ways, and it's been a life-changing principle for me. So hopefully... As we uh, get at this idea this morning, you'll pick up a little bit on that. Um, how, what, okay, so on Thanksgiving, my tradition when I wake up in the morning is I will flip on the TV and watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Is anybody with me on that? Do we watch that? Okay, some of us have outgrown it. I understand that. I still watch it every Thanksgiving morning. So I'll, I'll wake up, immediately turn it on. This Thanksgiving we're serving, but don't think I'm not DVR in that bad boy. It's going to be there, because if I don't watch it, it doesn't feel like Thanksgiving. Does anybody have these triggers, right? Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's that Thanksgiving Day Parade. But mostly it happens at Christmas, I'll, I'll give you that, where you smell cinnamon or something, and you're like, oh, it's Christmas. Or like you, you hear that song by Nat King Cole on the radio, and you're like, oh, it's Christmas. We have these like triggers, right? So for some of us, the holidays and Thanksgiving especially can be this warm, like awesome time. We have a time to sit down with family members that maybe we don't get to see a lot. Uh, maybe it's the only time in the year you get to talk with people and converse about what's gone on in your year, what you're going to do next year, all that kind of stuff. But uh, like anything, and we always want to say this at Resonate, there's a good side to these holidays, and then there can be a real bad side to these holidays. So, And both are completely valid, and we want to name that. So for others in this room, Thanksgiving could be a very ironically named holiday, right? Because our families may rob us of that joy. Or maybe it's that we've lost some family this year, and this will be the first time we have to enter into this holiday without that. So there exists within the spectrum of happiness and sadness like Thanksgiving, right? So for those of us that Thanksgiving isn't such a great thing this year, let's move on just sort of talking about thankfulness, and then Thanksgiving can exist over here. So the concept of thankfulness, and then Thanksgiving. And if at the end we want to put that into Thanksgiving, then awesome, that would be great. But so that it doesn't get in the way, let's just talk about thankfulness and gratefulness this morning. So I want to talk about a list I made when I was 18, because why not? So I was 18 years old. I had just graduated from high school. And uh, I had just gotten a MacBook Pro. Or not a MacBook Pro, I'm sorry. My parents were, didn't want to spoil me like that. I got a MacBook. It was one of those white ones. And I was taking a grand total of three classes at the local community college, because I was on the fast track to success. <laughs> and uh, that just meant I had a lot of free time. So. I was playing in bands and stuff. My weekends were packed, so I would always be like playing in, in gigs and bars and whatever in the weekends. But during the week, I had this sort of odd period of time in my life that lasted almost like six months where I was only taking this many classes. I was out of high school for the first time. I was still living at home. So what does any 18-year-old do when they're living at home? They get out of home as quickly as possible. So I used to spend my days in coffee shops. I would go to wherever there was Wi-Fi. I was like a coffee shop rat, and I would be there. And I was reading for the first time uh, about this Jesus guy on my own. So I had grown up in children's ministries and in youth groups as a pastor's son. Um, and when you do that, Jesus and Christianity is often handed to you in a pretty package with a bow on it. And it's just sort of like, this is it. Here's Jesus. And for the first time when I was 18 and I had space and time, I was reading up on things like the church because I was really interested in the church. 
I was a very nerdy kid and used to like to go to Willow Creek conferences with my dad when I was like 13. I'd be like, Dad, can I please go to that church conference? He'd be like, okay. <laughs> uh, so I would read up on like the church, but more than that, that led me to Jesus. And for the first time, I was starting to interact with this God on a personal level and learning things about him that I had not known before. So uh, it's Thanksgiving and it's right around the corner. And I'm sitting in this coffee shop and I thought about the idea of, ooh, I thought about the idea of, Thanksgiving, and why do we have this holiday that so often gets like overlooked, right? It's like we enter the grocery store in October, there's Halloween de- uh, decorations, like October 15th, there's Christmas decorations. So th- Thanksgiving sort of gets the bump in our culture, right? And I thought the day is so important because we actually get to like center around an idea of gratitude. So what would happen if I wrote out everything that I was thankful for? on this little MacBook? What if I just started listing every single thing that I'm thankful for? Again, this is only an idea that comes to someone who has way too much time on their hands. So I start writing out everything that I'm thankful for. And it was really, really life-giving. As, as I would write things down, I could just sense my face starting to smile. Like, the more and more I would do it, and I, it became easier and easier and easier to write things down as I went. It didn't become harder. The nouns, the verbs, the adjectives that I was thankful for just came like, phew, 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 and the list got horrendously long, like three pages long, right? And so, like, I had Wi-Fi available to me, so I posted this on Facebook, okay? So I posted on Facebook, and then this really weird thing starts happening. People started sharing it. People started sharing it, and then people started liking it. And then even more than that, people started engaging with it because at the end I gave an opportunity to like, hey, if you want to, join me in this and post your own. And so all of a sudden within my little community, it was like a tiny little viral movement where this thankfulness thing was spreading. And people were writing out everything that they were grateful for. And I was like, that was so easy, right? It's hard to talk to people about Jesus. Like if I posted a thing about Jesus, they'd be like, avoid that post. But this thankfulness thing, for some reason, it was like, it was like thankfulness was a powder keg And this list was the match. And you got too close to the powder cake, and it's just this explosion of gratitude. So people started sharing it and then doing it by themselves, and they realized that thankfulness, the largest thing I got back was, I've been having such a hard year. But this exercise actually helped me realize that where I'm at is so great. Because that's what thankfulness does. I'm calling it the helicopter tour of awesome. So what what, what, what a helicopter does, right, if we're on the ground, say it's a rainy day, Actually, let's forget the helicopter analogy because how many of you have ridden in a helicopter? <laughs> let's, let's do a plane. How about a, okay, we got two up here. Let's do a plane. So uh, how many of us have taken off in a storm? Have you ever done that before? Okay, I, I've taken off in some pretty gnarly storms, and it's nerve-wracking because there's lightning and there's thunderclaps and there's a ton of rain and it's all gray, but when you shoot through those clouds once the plane takes off, you go through the clouds and all of a sudden you realize that the sun is shining and right below you is just this white bed of awesomeness, and that was there the whole time. It was just our perspective and the, the, the place that we were in that was showing us that there's this gloom and doom and all that kind of stuff. What thankfulness does is it puts us in that plane because what's around us can be hard. It can be rough. But when we start saying, God, I'm so grateful for just like the roof over my head, my one-bedroom apartment starts to look a whole lot better, right? We start going, God, thank you for like the clothes that I get to wear, the food that I get to eat. These small things begin to put us right where we are in the minute that God has placed us there and say, thank you, God, for where you've placed me, right? So I've tried to find uh, this list, but I wrote it on this thing called Notes on Facebook, which apparently they got rid of. So I couldn't find my original list, 
But I was in a coffee shop this week, Bagel Nosh. If you guys haven't been to Bagel Nosh, go. I should have heard more cheers for Bagel Nosh there. But I was in Bagel Nosh, and, uh, and I decided, hey, I'll just write this whole list again. And I wish that I had the one from 18 to be able to compare to the one from now. But I'm going to read off my list. And yes, it's long and horrendous, but I'm going to try and make it as interesting as possible, all right? So here are the things that I am thankful for right now. I'm thankful for warmth, Jesus, Chelsea, good food, family, Xbox, music, laughter, opportunity, love, good friends, bad friends, new friends, books, smiling, language, hugs, education, my church, my small group, my apartment, talented people, compassion, kindness, finances, provision, heroes, the internet, movies, especially Star Wars, George Lucas, <laughs> Star Wars, fashion, sweater weather, the beach, Santa Monica, restaurants, happy hour, wine country, conversations over coffee, talks at night, unexpected hangs. Couches, Ikea, guitars, songs, my talented songwriting friends and community, coffee, beauty, freedom, acceptance, humbleness, running, new shows, podcasts, 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 you made it weird, cereal, indoor kids, cereal, this time not the podcast but the delicious breakfast food, theology, Mexican food, truth, beauty, the time to explore it, and finally the life I have been given. Thank you, God. Woo! So the truth is, I'm just actually grateful that all those things are in my life. I'm grateful that I'm able to live a life where those things are in proximity to me. Because some of the things that I listed on my list for people in other parts of the world or people even in our range don't have these things. And I'm grateful to God that I can lead a life where these things are easily grabbable for me. So you probably noticed that on my list there are some pretty ridiculous things like Star Wars and George Lucas, but those are actually two of the things I'm most thankful for. So the, the whole process in this it's just like getting out that silly stuff, too, because we have a right to thank God for all the little things. Here's an unexpected bonus that happened this time around when I did this. I began to look at my list, and I began to see that there were these themes in there. So beyond Star Wars, which was definitely a theme, uh, there was this thing about talking with people that came up a lot. There's this thing about like caring for people that came up a lot. And I realized that I like people. I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about loving on people. And if, if that's what I'm passionate about, then that's what actually makes me feel fulfilled in life. And if I'm in a role or a place where I can't use that passion, then I'm not going to feel fulfilled. Then I'm not going to feel useful, right? That's what gratitude does. Gratitude makes us realize that if we're running towards our passions and towards our fulfillment and doing that through God, we're living the best life now possible, right? That's why this concept comes up so much in the ancient scriptures. God believed that thankfulness was so important, he went ahead and included it over a hundred times in the Bible. It's one of the major themes of the Christian story. Even as we gather today, he actually outlined a lot of ideas around thankfulness. And uh, Paul did this specifically. So I want to give you a second. Um, if you want to flip uh, in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, if not, if you have a phone or a Google device, you can Google this and you'll probably beat the Bible people there. Um, we're going to go to Colossians 3.16. It's going to be up on the screen too, so if you want to do that. Oh, and there's Resonate on the screen behind it. Um, uh, we're going we're gonna to read this together, and this is Paul in a prison, likely, writing to a group that's just like us. So a group that follows Christ and that wants to celebrate him. Here's what he says uh, about our gatherings together. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's read that one more time, especially, oh, there we go, great. Let's do it one more time, uh, just so we can let that sink in. 
It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that sounds like a church service, right? What do we got? Let's unpack that a little bit. We got, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So that means we need to be taking the scriptures pretty seriously, right? We want that, that word to be dwelling in us richly. And some churches do really, really well at that. I hope we'd be on that list. The next thing we're supposed to do is teach, and some will call that a sermon, right? This is the time where we get to, like, absorb and we get to learn. But teaching, even then, meant more like conversation. So we get a chance to talk. That's why we make such a big deal of small groups around here at Resonate, because that's the time that we actually get to have conversation around these topics. And it's not just one guy with a microphone talking. Some churches do that really well. And then we're called to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I'm so glad that he included that because that's probably the weirdest thing we do together. <laughs> Is it not? If you, if, if you remember your first time at church, maybe you were too little to remember that, but when you walk into a church service and people are singing, it's sort of the only cultural moment we still do that. It's not like we all gather together, besides bars. And, and sometimes singing in bars is more fun. But so we, we don't do that a lot anymore. It's not like we all get together and like, hey, let's gather on the piano and just knock out some songs, right? That seemed to happen in like the 40s, 30s when there was no TV. So we don't do that a lot. But Jesus, Paul actually calls us to do it. And here's why. In ancient times, songs weren't used just as like nice melodies and fun things to do together. They were used to remember things. There weren't a lot of ways to write things down. There weren't a lot of ways to transport things that were written down. That was very rare. And so people would sing songs to remember. Right? So when we sing here in this place, we sing to remember. The other cool thing that happens during worship, and I'm sorry I'm a worship leader, so I'm going to go off on a little worship tangent. But the other cool thing that happens when we worship together is we sing together. And when we sing together, we start to breathe together. This is the only time in our Western world where we actually do something that resembles meditation in a group together and it's still socially acceptable. Right? This is the only time we have where we center each other as the body of Christ. You can worship alone in your car, that's awesome, but there's something crazy that happens when we're able to worship together in a room like this. That's the end of my worship tangent. Some churches do that really well, right? Like Hillsong. If you've ever been to a Hillsong service or concert, I'm still recovering. It's, it's a lot, <laughs> right? Now here's, all of those things are awesome and good, and Paul says they're all vital, but here's the thing that I want Resonate to be known for. Let's go back to the verse, because at the end he says something key. So he mentions these things, let the word of, of Christ dwell in you richly, so that's the scriptures, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, that would be teaching or sermons or small groups, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's worshiping, and then at the end, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So he's saying all these things are so good, but when you combine this ingredient of thankfulness, these things become beautiful. The singing is awesome, but it's so much better when we're like, thank you, God, and we're singing out of that gratefulness. The teaching is awesome, but it's so much better when we, we do that in the, the sense of gratitude, right? And the scriptures, we should be so thankful for that. God's given us this, like, huge book about himself. And when we begin to be thankful for that, we can clue into that in a unique and cool way. So that's my church little rant for you this morning. Um, so like I've been talking about before, thankfulness tends to center us. It tends to make us, make us grateful for the moment that we are in. You know what I mean? Because like, if we're not grateful, we're constantly looking for that next thing. Right? If I could only get that job, 
uh, I'd be so thankful. If I could only get this, this promotion, I'd be so thankful. If I could only get this partner, I'd be so thankful. If so-and-so would just pay attention to me, I'd be so thankful. Without gratitude, we're always throwing for that next thing that'll make us happy. What gratitude does is it says, what do you got right here in front of you? What's right in front of your nose that you used to be running for, right? This job you have now, can you remember a time when you used to look back and be like, oh, I wish I had that job. And now you're like, oh, I can't stand this place. And people are mean and all this, la, la, la. I got to leave. I got to go. Be thankful for where you're at right now. In the ancient scriptures, there's a story of Moses. And if we've heard that story of Moses, uh, if you grew up in the church, you probably heard that a lot. But basically, God uses this guy, Moses, to take the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. But something very unique happens in that process. They kind of mess it up. And so they have 40 years in the desert. 40 years. And he even says that the people who came out of Egypt won't even see this place. That whole generation is going to pass away before we get there. Can you imagine what an exercise in gratitude that must have been? Right? Oh, you got us out of Egypt. We were slaves, and now we're stuck here in this desert for 40 years. But here's the thing. Sometimes in our lives, God wants us in that desert because they had stuff to learn before he could take them to that next place. So where we're at right now, God wants us there. I'm not talking about an oppressive or bad situation. That's not true. But where you're at in your life, God is using this time through you to make you better and to grow you closer to him. All right, I want to talk about this blog that I stumbled upon this week as I was studying this thing about gratitude. I'm super interested in the brain and what like, our brains actually physically do when stuff like spiritualism gets connected to it, right? The physical and then the spiritual, that fascinates me. I had a whole like 10-minute thing in here about what gratitude actually does to your brain, but it got way too long and nerdy, so I took it out. Um, but I did find this blog called Happier Human, and what they do is they study happiness. And not like in the Christian sense, but just like in the secular sense. What makes people happy? And what, what makes people happy long term? In our context within the church, I would call that joy, right? So there's happy and there's joy. Joy would be like more of a lasting thing. But interesting that we're all sort of gravitating towards the same thing, right? Let's look. I found this list of 31 things that gratitude does to your brain. And then on this list, it includes things like a better career, a healthier lifestyle, and even better spiritual lifestyle. So I looked for the spiritual one, and I found it at number nine. And we can put that up on the screen. That should be there. Number nine. Let's, let's read this. Uh, I'll read it. Just You can read it with me silently. Um, here's what they say. Gratitude increases spiritualism. Spiritual transcendence is highly correlated with feelings of gratitude. That is, the more spiritual you are, the more likely you are to be grateful. This is for two reasons. One, all major religions espouse gratitude as a virtue. And then number two, spirituality spontaneously gives rise to grateful behavior. That number two is a real winner. Spiritual spontane- uh, spontaneously gives rise to grateful behavior. Now, that's already mind-blowing enough, and that had my head going like, whoa, that's crazy. So the more that we know God, the more grateful we are, right? But... And then the, the author of this blog adds this after this. And this is the only point where he or she chimes in with their own little opinion. And I thought this was fascinating. I'm going to read you what they had to say. They said about that number two, that's that, that uh, spirituality spontaneously gives rise to grateful behavior. They say this. I believe the opposite to also be true. That gratitude spontaneously gives rise to spiritual attribution. Helping one feel closer to God or other religious entities. 
This is where things get really good. I am irreligious and have found that gratitude practices make my spiritual position difficult. Those moments when I feel intense gratitude make me want to believe in a benevolent God. But my solution has been to redirect my feelings towards Lady Luck. Whew. So wait, I'm going to ask some snarky questions back to this blogger because that's what I did. And I wrote them down, and I'm going to read them because I'd forget about them if I didn't. So you mean to tell me that when we focus on being thankful, our mind actually opens up to the fact that there could be an all-loving, knowing, encompassing God that these feelings seem to be shaping? That when thankfulness pours out of the soul, it finds its home in God because that's where it's all coming from in the first place? And that a smile could actually be the most profound example of a higher power in the universe? Come on! Now I'm preaching, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus was a very smart man, and that's literally what I have written down in my notes. That's a whole other sermon, but Jesus was a very smart man. He had these ways of teaching people that ideas would get lodged in their heads. He was a master teacher. So here's some of the ways that Jesus would teach you something. If you had a question for Jesus, imagine being able to just waltz right up to Jesus. That'd be pretty awesome. People would walk up to Jesus, and they'd be like, all right, God, I just got this little question. just want to get it wrapped up nice and tight. And more than often, he would throw a question back. So he'd ask a question, and then he'd throw one right back at you. If you have friends like that, it's an annoying habit. But for Jesus, it worked. The other way that he would teach, which I am so fascinated about, is he would teach with these things called parables. So the other option, you walk up to Jesus, you get a question back, or you walk up to Jesus with a little question, and you get a 30-minute story about the prodigal son. And if any of you grew up with teachers as parents, that's what it's like when you ask a biology question. (laughs) (laughs) So he used these stories, and why? I believe Jesus used these stories because where a simple answer goes away, like we can forget that answer, a story has a chance to sort of grow with us. A story can grow us. So the simple answer, in one ear, out the other. But a story you can kind of chew on and get with, right? It grows with you. How many of you guys still think the same way you did 10 years ago? Thank God no one raised their hand. (laughs) I was practicing this sermon for uh, my wife last night, and she raised her hand. I was like, you're not supposed to raise your hand there. <laughs> um, but, but she was with me. She was being supportive. So, um, Oh, man, I lost my chance. Um, yeah, so, so a story sticks with us. When, Ten years ago, I was 17. When I heard the story of the prodigal son, and if you didn't grow up in church or haven't heard that story, here's the prodigal son in like 40 seconds. Prodigal son is a family, there's three people, there's a dad, there's a son who's bad, there's a son who's good. Let's call the prodigal son the bad son. Son, prodigal, goes up to dad, says, dad, I wish you were dead, I want my inheritance right now. Dad goes, okay, here you go. He goes and squanders it in the Las Vegas and the Hollywoods of the day, comes back because he had to sleep with pigs and eat their food, and he went, wait a minute, my dad's servants live better than this, I'll go and be a servant for my father. Gets to the gate, the dad runs, sprints towards him before he can even get the word servant out of his mouth, he has a cloak around his back a ring on his finger, and a party is about to happen in the house. That's the radical love of God. And the brother looks at dad and goes, oh, man, this sucks. Like, I've been here the whole time doing everything, and now you're going to throw a party for him? And he goes, listen, your brother was dead, but is now alive, so we're going to go ahead and celebrate that. But just remember that everything here is yours and always has been. So that's the prodigal son. Now, when I was 17 and heard the story of the prodigal son, I most likely would have identified with the brother. Because at that point in my life, I hadn't made a lot of mistakes yet. (laughs) I hadn't made a lot of mistakes, right? So I would have identified with the brother. Now, 10 years later at 27, I can put myself in the shoes of almost every character in that story, even the pigs. 
because a story grows with us. A story takes us from point A, takes us to point B, and there's always little nuggets of information that we can be pulling from it. When I read The Prodigal Son in 10 years from now, I can't wait to see what I'm able to pull out of it, right? So when Jesus wasn't using stories, or even when he was using stories, and he wasn't just asking questions back, when he was preaching, he used to talk a lot about the idea of the least of these. Okay, if you've heard the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, which is essentially the most awesome collection of Jesus' thoughts available in the Bible. It's like where we see the biggest chunks of red letters in the Bible. He often talks about the meek becoming strong, right? It's about the least of these, the people that we tend to go away from. In Jesus' day, lepers, if you were a leper, if you, if you developed leprosy or caught leprosy, I'm not sure how that works, but when you got leprosy, you would be sent away from your family to a colony far away and pretty much left to die. That's where Jesus wanted to head to. Those are the people that Jesus hung out with. There were tax collectors that were these thieves and awful, awful people that stole from these people that barely had any money in the first place. That's who Jesus wanted to talk to and eat with. And there were prostitutes that pretty much still exist the same way they did today, but in a much, much sketchier environment. Those are the people that Jesus wanted to talk to. It was about the least of these. And when he talked about his kingdom, it was this idea of this beautiful upside-down grace where those people were the ones who were closest to heaven. And here's the thing. He didn't just talk about these people. He asked us to engage with these people, to serve these people. He even says, when you serve them, you serve me. You see me. I don't know about you guys. If there's a chance for me to get a little more of Jesus, I'm going that direction, right? So this Thanksgiving, oh, no, not yet. Uh, This is why people get so frustrated with Christianity. This is why people enter the faith and leave the faith. Here's my theory. This is one humble opinion anyway. But what happens when you first enter a church? It's so great. The pastor is speaking all sorts of awesome stuff you've never heard before. The music is great. Uh, Children's ministry is awesome. And you're like, this place is so cool. These people are so nice. I think I'm going to hang around a little bit. So you hang around a little bit. You get there like three or four weeks in, and the words are still awesome. They're still cool. Small groups are going great. Everything's going good. You're sort of integrating this stuff into your life. And then what happens like three months down the line? All of a sudden, the pastor's saying the same stuff up there. Right? He said that... The words have not changed, and yet, I'm not getting the same stuff out of this. I used to have every one of my friend's phone numbers memorized. Did you guys used to do that right before, like, the cell phone came around? You actually had your friend's numbers memorized? Now, if you ask me any of those numbers, I would not be able to tell you that because I don't use that information anymore. Any good teacher will tell you that to learn something, you have to put it into practice, right? We learn math because we do dozens and dozens of math problems over and over again, and then it sticks. What about the gospel? Where does that enter into us, and how do we learn that? We take this gospel, which is good news, but what we should be doing, what Jesus is calling us to, is to make that good news a good life. We're supposed to be pushing that out into the community and serving people. So that's why we need to serve. That's, that's why on Thanksgiving, Resonate's going to be uh, near UCLA uh, serving for people who maybe don't get to gather around a Thanksgiving meal. And, and Chelsea and I are going to be there at 8 a.m. It's going to be fun. We're still going to have plenty of time for the rest of the day. So I really invite you 
to do this, put this gospel thing to the test. Serve the least of these, right? Jesus' big commandment, the big honcho, when people asked him, what's the most important thing? He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most of the time, when people talk about Jesus, they just throw out that love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because that's the one that sort of rolls off the tongue. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the thing. Loving your neighbor as yourself is a really messy gig. It's hard. It's not just the people that are in 2A that look just like us and like the same TV shows we do. It's the people on the corner that we might want to rush past a little bit when we come near them, right? It's the friendship that maybe we haven't mended yet. This is loving our neighbor. It's whoever's within proximity of us. And quick caveat to that, love your neighbor with social media, that <laughs> is a whole new realm. You see, in Jesus' day, if you moved from one town to the other, you'd take your camels and pretty much you'd be like, I'm never going to see these people again. Cousin Johnny says goodbye and you're like, I, maybe I'll come back for your funeral. Like that was sort of the way that it would happen. Now, if you leave a village, Cousin Johnny is still sending you Farmville requests on Facebook. So there's no way to get rid of these people. So we have to love our neighbor and that is impossible just on our own. That's why we need the first part of that commandment, which is love your God with all your mind, heart, body, and soul. Because when we love God, that's where that river is flowing from. It's a downhill thing. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. It all travels down. If we try and go the other way, we're just swimming upstream, right? Now, Jesus loved a loaded phrase, and so here's what I'm going to end with today. Sometimes that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, the neighbor part isn't the hardest. Sometimes loving ourselves is the hardest. For a lot of us in this room, that's the main hindrance. I know for me it is, right? Because you can only love someone as much as you love yourself. You can only show that love as much as you show yourself that love. So what I want to do is do a little, um, do a little uh, exercise here. We're going to pray together. Uh, and as we do this, it's, really, it's going to be really simple. And now we're going to immediate is going to come up and play under this. And so is Jeff. Uh, we're going to bow our heads, and then all you're, all you're going to have to do is when I say, and all his people said, we're going to say, for that we are thankful. Okay? So let's try right now. And all his people said? For that we are One more time. And all his people said? For that we are thankful. Epic. Okay. Let's pray together. So God, thank you. And may we begin every prayer in that posture. May we live as followers of Christ to exemplify your mission to love the least of these, and to do that through the filter of thankfulness and gratitude. So God, you are holy, set apart, enormous, mysterious, and honestly scary. You are as beautiful as the wave and as mighty as the crash. And all his people said, God, you are loving, kind, protecting, and all-encompassing. And all his people said, God, you are here, present, and gentle. You stepped into our story and have forgiven us. And all his people said, God, you heal us and long for us to find the best way to live so that we might join you one day in heaven and hear the words, well done. And all his people said, amen. So we have one more song.